Hello and welcome to the first ever Guns on Pegs podcast. My name's George and I'm the marketing manager and editor at Guns on Pegs. I'm joined today by Digby and Chris from Guns on Pegs. It's worth mentioning at this point that we're all working from home and scattered to the four corners of the country. I don't see why I should do all the talking. So, uh, Chris, why don't you introduce yourself first? Tell us who you are, what your role is at Guns on Pegs. Uh, what you're doing at the moment and how you've been coping with the lockdown. Uh, I'm Chris, I'm Managing Director uh, of Guns on Pegs. Um, My role is a little bit of everything and I'm the only person in the company who has done every role in it. Um, So uh, I got into shooting when I was young. Uh, My both grandpas actually uh, were um, were the ones who got me into it. Um, Yeah, I shot my first first pheasant on my granddad's little syndicate and it was an awful low hen pheasant <laughs> looking back at it. Um, but uh, yeah, I've still got the cartridge actually. I've got, I've got the, uh, the little 20 bore cartridge. I think that's how we all begin, isn't it? Pillowcasing things. Yeah, pretty much. Um, so I've got the little 20 bore cartridge here at home actually. And um, yeah, otherwise I'm at home uh, very much in isolation like you guys. And uh Although we're doing a fairly good job of it. Cool, good stuff. Uh, and Digby. Yeah, my name's Digby. I'm the shoot account manager here at Guns on Pegs, also currently in self-isolation uh, in sunny Cornwall um, on my family farm, which is where I, incidentally, I learned to shoot. So similar to Chris, both grandparents or both sides of the family shoot. Um, and uh, I shot my first game bird, which was a snipe on a, a little rough syndicate on Bobbin Moor. Um, I don't think many other people... Uh, manage to sh- or get the opportunity to shoot a sniper as their first game bird but that's fairly common here in Cornwall. Um, last couple of weeks have been dealing with the corona meltdown um, so speaking to, to, to hundreds of shoots who are sort of worried about their future. Excellent and as I said before I'm George I'm the marketing manager and editor at Guns on Pegs and for some reason it's fallen to me to host the podcast which is very good fun. Um, I'm at my parents place in Hampshire where I grew up um, uh, which is also where I shot my first pheasant. I was introduced to shooting by my dad uh, and I'm pleased to say that my first game bird was a partridge uh, that I uh, wiped my godfather's eye with when I was about 11 or 12. <laughs> um, so that will always stay with me. Our format is uh, fairly loose at the moment but the first feature that we're going to do every week is called What's That You're Drinking? where uh, each of our guests is going to tell us what drink they've brought with them for the for the podcast and why they've chosen to have that. So, uh, Diggers, you can go first, first this time. What are you drinking? Brilliant. I, I just popped out to the cider cellar. Um, being from Cornwall, that's very much a part of the, the social life here. Um, popped out and got a bottle of, uh, of home brew. Um, when I was 11 or, 11 and 12 or 12, something like that, me and my brother set up a cider making company. Um, which saw me through university selling selling to pubs and bars in in Bristol, but uh, it's it's pretty rough, um, but it's the proper stuff. So is that the Saint um, Veep Classic? It's Saint Veep Classic. Yeah, eleven and a half percent. Although I never told the pubs that it was always sold at seven point two. That'll put hairs on your chest, won't it? Are you still making it these days, diggers? Um, I'm considering considering starting again if I manage to get a week or two off in October, but because that's that's when making happens. It's quite a busy time of the year for us at Guns on Pegs, so I haven't made it in the last couple of years. How much stuff have you got left? I really need to know because I've never actually had a chance of trying it. I've got about two thousand five hundred bottles left. Uh, so, so just a, just a drop, <laughs> <laughs> um, which down from I had fifteen thousand left when I stopped making two years ago. So I think we've made a fair fair dent into it over the years. Have you ever um, had a bottle explode? 
uh, I, in fact, I started making age 11 or 12 in, um, in little old wine bottles, which don't have, uh, aren't high enough. The glass isn't strong enough to deal with the pressure. We always used to put in a drop of sugar before uh, bottling. So it fizzed up like champagne. And um, my mother was very displeased to come down to her store cupboard one day to find six exploded bottles in a plastic bag. I've heard stories of people um, people having them explode on the tube and stuff like that. So I'm rather rather glad that that's never happened. But um, yes, I have had a, have a, had a couple of bottles explode. I think your um, I think your your cider wins it really as uh, as, <laughs> as a sort of drink of choice to bring to this because uh, anything homebrew I, I applaud. It's going to be tough to beat. Yeah, exactly. The ho- the homebrew I have sitting next to me is. Um, is certainly not for touching and it's slow gin that hasn't had its sugar added yet uh, and it's very much favours for our wedding so if I touch that right now I'm in awful trouble uh, so there's very absolutely nice. yeah I'm not, not going anywhere so, that, so Chris what have you got then so I have the first beer I've had in a long time and it is a Birra Moretti which is a lager that I enjoy and I don't know why I like it so much but it reminds me of uh, when I was younger, watching sport with my dad. So if we'd go to the football up at Ipswich, we would, uh, we would, dad would have a beer of Moretti when we had a pizza before the game. And I was quite young, so uh, I wouldn't, but I would just watch him drink Moretti. And ever since, I've just, you know, it's one of those things you always look back on. And you think, oh, that's nice. It was that was always what dad liked. Uh, so, um, hmm. so I've got a Moretti followed by a Barocca chaser. <laughs> I was, I was going to say, you better explain why you've not had a drink for a while. It's this corona conspiracy theory. So everyone in the family has been ill, but apparently not with coronavirus, which has never happened at any <laughs> other point in life. I don't get it. Well, I hope you're feeling you're feeling better now, I think, aren't you? Uh, a little bit, yeah. I've been rolling the fields today and I caught the sun, so I look absolutely ridiculous, um, which is good. <laughs> so, George, what, what are you drinking? So I have got a very small amount of the glass of whiskey that I poured myself when we started this. Um, it's a Glenmorangie. Um, it's probably a bit early in the day, really. Uh, but I it thought it was very early. What That's what self isolation does to George. <laughs> yeah, as with the twins, and it's, um, it's all been fairly full on. So I feel like I deserve it. Um, but uh, once I've got through that, I've got a can of uh, Estrella here as well. I was going to have a crack at my dad's Damson Gin, but um, I had a small sip of it earlier, and it definitely is not ready yet. So I decided to how, leave that. How, how, how long has gone on it? How long has it been well, going for? I think we made it in October. Uh, I think that's when it, when the fruit went in. Um, but it definitely it should be all right, though, shouldn't it? Yeah, I think probably it's going to need a bit more sugar. Um, it still looks pretty thin. So I don't know if we maybe need to give the fruit a bit of a mash or something as well, just to get a bit of colour in it. Yeah, what we did this year was um, uh, we, we put the slows in and I read online actually on the Sipsmith website, don't add sugar until the end um, because then the gin uses the natural sugars that's within the slows or whatever fruit you're using. And I shake it around every weekend and it's already really dark. So I reckon that actually at the end, just to tweak the sweetness by adding the sugar, I think it actually should work. Yeah, I've heard that too, too Chris. I think that sounds like a great, the next time I make, I'm going to do something like that as well. Because uh, you, you never quite get it right. It's either too sweet or too too sour. I've never quite managed to make a batch perfect. It's much easier to do afterwards. I I had a good tip from a from the wife of a Jap who comes shooting with us, who makes gallons of um, gallons of slow gin every year. Um, which is that if you end up with it too sweet, 
um, that you can add lemon juice and that takes some of the sweetness away without without flavoring it. Yeah, not too much because I mean, it, you you know, you have to measure it uh, based on how what the, on the volume of slow gin that you're making. Um, so obviously, yeah. if you're only making a bottle, don't squeeze a whole lemon into it. It's you know, you do it step by you know drip by drip or whatever and until you feel like you've got the flavor about right but you can rescue it well i'm just i'm just intrigued that you're starting with a glamorangie and then you're going to go on to an australia so i'm trying to <laughs> i'm trying to picture what you're wearing right now i'm expecting like a, a tweed deer stalker a pipe and some sort of some of those purdy slippers that you keep going on about <laughs> <laughs> i wish that were the case but actually it's about as far from that as it's possible to get um i wasn't really prepared for a lengthy stay at my parents when I came down here and certainly not a month long one so I've got like four t-shirts with me two half decent shirts and one pair of acceptable trousers and nearly everything I own has got some sort of baby sick on it so I've got a pretty shonky old t-shirt on at the moment and a pair of trainers so sorry to disappoint because you've been shooting stuff in the window while you've been down there, haven't you? Um, I've been going out and having a bit of a campaign on the local bunnies. There's a lot around the paddocks, the horse paddocks around uh, around our stables. So I, I think my count is 12 bunnies so far. I was told that there'd be lots of squirrels for me to take pot shots out from the bedroom window, which is where I'm recording from at the moment, by the way. But um, I haven't seen one yet, so I think I've just been working too hard. I've been waging war on the squirrels down here in Cornwall. I've shot five so far. Um, we've got a, a very well-placed elm tree, um, right, sort of probably 50 yards from the house, um, which I can look at from the from the um, office window. And I've painted peanut butter up the trunk because I'm told that's what keeps the squirrels. <laughs> they, they smell it from a mile off. And rather than just running in and taking a, um, a peanut or something like that and running away, they have to sit there and lick the the bark um and i've only just put it on this morning i've had great success today i had three this three today with the rifle uh, with a two two um and i had two yesterday with a shotgun so um not doing too badly that's a lot better than me i i must say i'm i'm getting really frustrated with the rabbits here i i sit at my desk and uh they'll start wandering around the garden uh literally like something out of peter rabbit like they're human and it's really getting to me so i go out and open the door and they run off but the thing is if I can't get close to them, because out the front of the house where most of the rabbits are, I need uh, I need a co-pilot to be able to to take me because they don't they don't move much if I drive up there in the car up the, <laughs> up the driveway. Oh, so you can do one lamping run. Yeah, well, that's it. If I walk up there, it's pointless, and I haven't got an air gun, a high powered air gun, or a rifle here. I've got a pump action silence four ten. Now that works well from the window of the car but i need my other half to drive and she's been knocked out on the sofa with some one of these various viruses anyway the uh i can't i can't i can't get anywhere near these rabbits so yeah it's they're just incredibly frustrating right now so we're living off pheasant in the freezer instead very nice very nice indeed it's quite a good time to experiment actually given that you can't go to the shops that much um and working from home you can sort of put on a stew at lunchtime and keep an eye on it in the afternoon so i had a had a delicious uh, venison and wild garlic stew last night, um, and then pheasant and leek the night before. Oh, was that off the recipe that I put up the other day? It wasn't quite. I, I read I read the recipe on online and um, and adapted it a little bit, and then had a my wife made um, pheasant and chorizo sausage rolls for lunch today on, on George's recommendation. The other, um, I think you put an article up the other day, didn't you, George, about that? Yeah, they are absolutely amazing. We have those on our shoot days, yeah, chaps. I'm just going to get into my beer. 
So we we've been piling in the curries. So we we buy um we buy uh, curry mixes uh, online from an amazing lady called Rafi. Uh, so she she's based in Sudbury in Suffolk near where I grew up. And you can buy the spices, and they're like three or four quid, and they're delivered to your door. Um, and you can have you choose your curry, and then you choose the heat. So you can get uh, like a vindaloo, but you can have it mild or medium or hot or whatever. And then you can do the same with korma, which is quite funny. So we've got a very hot korma, which is a uh, quite a weird sensation. A very hot korma, and then a, 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 I think we've got a medium vindaloo in there as well. But uh, stick basically you stick them in the stick them in the pan, and then just chuck the pheasant meat straight in. And leave it just to simmer really slowly for a while, and it's absolutely mega, um, mm-hmm. and so such good value for money. And and, and all it is is just a, a tin of chopped tomatoes and sometimes a bit of coconut milk. So they're pretty good for you as well. Yeah, so easy, isn't it? I mean, it's much easier than you think. Um, mm. and just delicious. Yeah, I think uh, you're right because I think a lot of people are probably working through the contents of their deep freeze and probably going back several seasons at the moment. I'd have thought. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The, the, the pheasants that we're eating though are supposed to be for our wedding uh but if uh if the wedding gets uh postponed which is looking very likely considering it's supposed to be in the middle of june then uh i don't know we're just gonna have to get our hands on some more pheasants but judging by the stats you were reading out from the shoots the other day diggers on how many are actually going ahead i don't know where we're gonna find this pheasant from i know i know it's gonna be uh it's gonna be a funny sort of conundrum as um, game dealers are desperate to get hold of more pheasants. I've heard of quite um, a few game dealers completely shutting up shop. Have you heard that? I know that a few have shut or aren't taking venison or or pigeon anymore because the restaurants don't need it, um, and they obviously can't get into to the cutting rooms. You know, as in they they can't get their staff in to um to do the butchery. But I don't. I haven't. I didn't know of any that have actually shut down. That's quite worrying, isn't it? Gosh, yes. Apparently, apparently a couple in the southwest. But I, I mean, there's tons of issues, isn't there? Not only getting stuff abroad, but as you say, the the UK market from the restaurants and everything else is just, well, the restaurant stuff's fallen well, off a cliff completely. Um, I mean, it's really worrying because, I mean, we've had over the last few years, obviously, yeah, all these yeah. problems with the problem um, trying to get rid of the significant amount of game being shot. But this year, we're going to have just a ton of different problems. It's going to be absolutely mad. Which I don't know. I'm sure we'll cope with, you know, these things by the time they happen, usually as a, as a sort of industry, uh, if you want to call it that, um, we're pretty good at sorting these things out. We've never had a total problem. No, exactly. I mean, I mean, we're only week two um, as far as sort of serious measures are concerned. Um, and week one and two is usually the, the panic week. And I feel like things are starting to settle down a little bit and give it another couple of weeks. And when we come out of self-isolation, I expect everybody will be a lot clearer. Um, and it's the good thing about it, this whole situation happening now is that it's not too late to start, you know, hatching or start um, setting your eggs. Um, even at the end of April, you can still produce birds for the season. So as long as we have some clearer idea by the end of April, um not not all is lost yeah do you, do you think we'll see basically shoots having a, a shorter season just starting later because of this sort of bit of commitment to the game farmers right now yeah well my my personal view is that i think we'll be well out of it by the time june comes and as i was just saying i think give it a couple of weeks and confidence will be back um i know that uh, my friends in london and and elsewhere who don't have um, a farm to to mess around on in the evenings are going absolutely spare um, sort of trapped in their rooms and they're looking for anything to do to to keep their um, 
keep the morale high. So I wonder whether we're going to get a, a run of bookings or, you know, people are going to start looking around and, and actually saying, you know what, I want something to keep me going when I get out of this mess um, and start booking up again in a couple of weeks time as, you know, as confidence increases. I should say, I think you're absolutely right. I think that, um, you know, having been cooped up for three, possibly more weeks, people will be absolutely desperate to to feel like they've got something in the pipeline to look forward to. Um, and I think that will apply across you know most it most uh, uh most industries as it were but particularly with ours where so many people find spending time outside uh, almost a release from from everyday life it's going to be all the more important for those people don't you think yeah and it really really depends when when this when the confidence comes back if we can manage to get a few deposits in or if shoots can manage to get a few deposits in in a couple of weeks then there's no reason why we shouldn't be shooting partridge in september but if it's a month down the line then we might not be able to shoot parts in september but there's no reason why we shouldn't be shooting pheasants in october um so you know the the longer this goes on it all comes down to deposits as chris chris said but the longer this goes on um i was just chatting to charlie jacoby actually um <clears throat> to a, a little update on phil sports channel and i was tr- i'm trying not to be too pessimistic about it because as you say we're two weeks into this it is not even the end of march as we speak right now mm. Um, and yes, people can make some decisions, but obviously we've got this vicious circle on the go where the game farmers are tightening up their terms because obviously they don't want to be left with a bad debt from the shoots. So they're passing that on to the shoots and the shoots are then passing that on to the guns. I mean, I've heard, I spoke to two shoots today who both are asking for a hundred percent payment right really? now, not even just 50%, Gosh. like a hundred percent, which, I mean, you can kind of understand it in a way, but the problem is that everyone being strict on the next person and not want to take any risk on it, which I understand just means that therefore it's all down to the gun to basically put a bet on whether, on the fact that they're going to be able to shoot when the season comes. Now I can't see a situation right now, judging by what's going on in other countries around the world in terms of their development with the coronavirus, but I can't see a situation where we're not going to be able to go shooting. Um, I can just see lots of turmoil before Mm. then. Um, but if you can get the birds down, we know from our stats on guns and pegs, our busiest time of year always, without fail, is October, November, December. Mm. Even you know, even after everyone's supposed to have committed, so they are then just you know going out for one day and then going, my God, I absolutely love this. I forgot how much I love it, and then again, books and more So the same thing will happen again, and as ever, guns on pace will get manic through the season. But it's it will just be down to the shoots that have got availability. Yeah, and it's gonna be quite it's gonna be quite an interesting season, sort of as an observer in a, in a way to see what type of shooting people are going to be doing. Um, I I wonder whether the the estates that currently have said no, we're not shooting, may well say okay, we've got um, you know things have relaxed a little bit. We've got a bit of wild game on on the on the shoot on the estate. Um, we might just put out a few sort of walked up days, mini driven days. We might, they might even be able to get hold of a few late pulps in August and, um, and have a couple of sort of, sort of, uh, proper, proper days in November, December. It's going to be on a smaller scale and slightly more, slightly more, um, you know, here and there, but there, we're not going to be not shooting come the season. It would just be slightly different. Yeah, I agree. And, and we've got to remind ourselves that, uh, you know, we, we know that people go out shooting to have a laugh with mm. their mates and, that is the single biggest reason. Now, if it just so happens that you can't do what you would usually do in a shoot season this year, 
people will just make do with whatever else. And I guarantee, you know, it's going to be it's going to be awesome to challenge people's perception of actually what therefore their enjoyable day is. Because I'll bet there's some people that only go on bigger days this year. Uh, normally, that will go on some smaller days that will go. Oh my god, I absolutely love that. And obviously, it comes with a cheaper price and everything else. And I think it's just going to be fascinating to challenge people's perceptions of, of what they enjoy this year yeah, um, absolutely. because you'll find yourself on an eclectic mix. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think it's for, and I think, um, it, yeah, I think that there's, there's definitely an argument that, that people are going to start examining what it is that they love about it, whether that smaller bag has, has meant a diminished, uh, diminished enjoyment of the day. And I'd be amazed if, if, there's a huge proportion of people who think, oh, well, if I can't shoot 300, I'm not interested. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be an absolute fraction, isn't it? Well, especially after spending about two or three months inside or whatever we have to do. I think, you know, <laughs> well, yeah. give someone a gun and, and tell them there's one pigeon in the vicinity and, you know, you'll, you'll find you'll find half the county out there. I mean, it's going to yeah. be absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. So I think I need to just, uh, we've been going for 20 odd minutes or so. So I just think I need to bring this back to a li- the schedule a little bit to make sure we don't overrun. We've got a schedule, so, have we? <laughs> well, a little bit, a little bit in my head. Um, That's what happens when we get chatting, thing. isn't it? It's yeah. just like it's just like um, a drink in the pub, isn't it? On a, on a Friday, and night. it was all getting a bit too bit too worky. Um, so I think we're going to try and bring it back to that idea of everybody having fun in the field together. Um, so I've got some uh, some silly questions that I want to ask you. So. Um, Diggers, tell me what your most embarrassing moment on the shooting field uh, has been. Very, very good. Put me on the spot, George. Thank you. Um, I, I, I actually had a, was thinking about that just the other day with uh, with my family over supper. Um, I was shooting with some friends in Wales, uh, West Wales, um, and we just had a we're sort of doing a bit of a, a wild. Um, walk up day we just had a word from the the keeper who's who's taking us round who said look guys this is going to be great fun if we can get into position without being heard or seen you know without pushing the, the birds off we were after snipe and woodcock and the occasional teal which and anything that came off this little bog boggy area um and we're getting into position every, all of the other guns had managed to um cross a fence and uh walk down a little slope without making any noise i then slipped and fell and made the most embarrassing shriek you can possibly imagine. Um, at which point <laughs> the bog erupted, um, all going the wrong way. And then uh, all my mates were standing there laughing hysterically at me. It was one, it was incredibly embarrassing, but it, was, it ended up being something they'd never let me forget. And Chris, yours? Uh, I mean, it's really tricky. I was trying to think of one that's actually uh, that I could possibly share on air. Uh, <laughs> I mean, there's some horrendous ones in there, and obviously your mind just goes back to those. Um, I, do you know what? I it, it's not it's not so much embarrassing, but it's it's kind of more funny, and it was more a case of laughing at someone uh, just for a minute. But we used to. Um, it, it's actually not even about me as well, but we used to uh, on on birthday shoots. So like my dad's, for example, my dad's birthday shoots uh, over the years. Um, if if it's been a sort of big birthday, um, I think it was his fiftieth all the sort of um, cousins and sons and whatnot were loading for the dads. Uh, and we, I organised uh, a bunch of black powder cartridges um, for the for the loaders uh, to to slip into the guns of their dad or whoever, uncle, whoever it was they were loading for. And obviously, you know, they're, they're out having a laugh, but they're in that heat at the moment. They're taking everything very seriously, trying to shoot on their A game, you know, and all that. 
and we uh, we slipped a couple of these powders in all at once, uh, and it was just the absolute shock and embarrassment and concern and everything mixed into one. You know, thinking that your gun had blown up, then there's a cloud of smoke, and just when you're not expecting it, it's absolutely hilarious. Just watching someone so confused about what on earth just happened, scaring the hell out of them. So uh, yeah, those are always just fond <laughs> memories of just basically, basically winding dad up. Yeah, yeah exactly. I think that's uh, winding people up when you're shooting with like really close friends and family. That is when you have the most fun, isn't it? And um, that sort of leads me on to the question idea marked for you, Chris, because you shoot with uh, quite a wide range of people. I think Uh, one of the things that we like to do on our family shoots at home is poach each other's birds. It's sort of an unwritten rule that it's the done thing around us. Now it's not always uh, a popular thing but i want to know who the biggest poacher you know is oh easy so this one uh i grew up um as i mentioned right at the start shooting um with my grandpa and my dad i was really really lucky and my dad was incredibly generous and he had this sort of rule where um he said t- uh, to my grandpa i will take you shooting enough time so that i've paid back my school f- uh, school fees that he'd paid from when he was younger so this was a huge amount of commitment that he'd made to my grandpa but it was at a point where um you know mum and dad had been in business together and things like that and then it was just at the start it was actually pre guns on pegs and it's actually what caused guns on pegs to to come about um but um it was with my grandpa so we'd always go out on these days and there'd be three of us uh in amongst a sort of syndicate of guns that we had where we grew up and um uh we would rig the draw or whoever the host was would just knew that we'd always want to stand together. And he'd put my grandpa in the middle. Now my grandpa was, I don't know how old he was at the time, probably mid seventies. Um, and he is the biggest poacher going. So my dad would organize a friend of ours, uh, to come and load for him and just basically keep him upright. And he'd, <laughs> he'd put one hand behind his back to stop him falling over on steep hills and let my grandpa just, just go for it. And he had this sort of, uh, he just did this thing where he flicked a V sign uh, every time you shot a bird that was going towards him. And he'd, he'd, he'd sort of like flick it up and down at my dad and me on like either side of him. And then the moment a partridge comes out anywhere near one of us, he'd just be straight off with both barrels. And at 75 as well i mean it's just it was absolutely brilliant i mean, such fond memories uh, that is so he, much what it's all about though isn't it I yeah mean, shooting, but it's, shooting. it's one of the only um it's one of the only sort of things that you can do three generations you know how many mm. years apart we were probably 50 years apart at the time um all competing and to the same level i can't think of anything else where you can actually do that diggers mm. who's the person that you know with the longest barrels oh i don't know I, if you don't know someone it's probably you isn't it <laughs> um <laughs> <laughs> no, I I can imagine you being the biggest poacher. I don't. I can't. I, I'm sure. Yeah, we have stood next to each other. It's me. It's me and my cousin who, um, when we shoot at home. Uh, I mean, you, I'm not sure if you can really call it shooting. It's more like standing in a in a in a valley waiting for nothing to come over you. We'll um we'll both shoot away at anything anywhere. Um, we'll both stand at the back and sh- you know, it's more of a case of how much lead can you get in the air rather than how many birds. Um, in the bag at the end of the day if we end up with three or four we'll we'll consider it rather commercial we'll have to um, consider whether we want to continue doing it next year <laughs> but me and, me and him will go for literally anything um, and uh, yeah so probably probably the two of us combined I think. Excellent okay well I think that that chaps uh, is a really great place to leave it um, I think uh, we've done 
just over half an hour. Um, and I think that if we go on too much longer, everybody get fed up with listening to us. So um, it's been great fun. Um, <laughs> I hope you guys enjoy the rest of your Friday and your weekend, get some rest. And uh, I don't think the weather's going to be much good, but um, uh, it'll be nice just to get away from the computer for a bit and uh, and, and maybe get out and, and have a bit of a walk around and that sort of thing. No, no. Next week's going to be an interesting week, and I think you know it's probably we're, we're probably do a sort of follow up of one of these in a couple of weeks' time when we know exactly where things are at. And I think you know with the amount of shoots that you're speaking to, Digby, it, it, that will be really interesting to see. And you know, I think the, the one key thing that doing you know even just chatting now and reliving some of those memories reminds us is is that thing I was saying at the start. You know, our strap line plan the best days of your life is absolutely everything. And and if you like us, think that there is going to be a bit of a season ahead of us. Uh, and we will be out of lockdown then and you feel you can commit to uh, a deposit towards a shoot then do because I really don't think you'll be regretting it come the middle of this season mm. Um, mm. and it's going to be really exciting when it gets there yeah absolutely absolutely no great fun indeed well thank you very much gentlemen stay safe out there so all that remains for me to say is thanks very much to Chris and Digby for taking part and also to you for listening to our first ever Guns on Pegs podcast We really enjoyed making it and we hope that you enjoyed listening. In future episodes, we'll be joined by special guests. So if you have any suggestions for who you'd like to see taking part, do let us know. If you haven't already, do join Guns on Pegs at www.gunsonpegs.com or find us on Instagram at Guns on Pegs or follow us on Facebook. Until the next time, thanks for listening.